Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I am your host, Patrick Ransom, and what a fabulous season it is uh, to invite people to church. I love the Advent season. I love the Christmas season. I love inviting people to come to church, especially uh, not only just to point them to our Savior, but but it really is an easy evangelism uh, time of year. Our church is uh, completely decorated, much like I'm sure yours is. We have all sorts of kids uh, programs. We have a fabulous uh, a Christmas to remember celebration. It's just really easy to reach out to your friends, your family, your neighbors, and simply tell them, hey, uh, come and see. Come and check it out. It's the It really is the, the three-word simplest evangelism you'll ever do. Come and see. I still remember the very first time uh, someone invited uh, me to our current church. Uh, we were attending a different church and, and, and badly attending it at that. And one of our daughters was in gymnastics and one of her teammates on that team, uh, we, we saw their parents at a, a local grocery store. And the father reached out and just said, hey, by the way, where are you guys going to church? And, and I told him, oh, we're going to this particular church. Uh, it's not working out very well. It's a struggle to get the kids there. I'm sure those of you who have uh, ever had young kids can identify with this. It, it, it is a struggle to get the kids all bundled up, get them dressed, get them out the door, get them to church, get them to behave, try not to have an argument with your spouse in the process, and you and you get them there, and, and the kids aren't learning, right? They're not enjoying the time. And, and as I confided in this gentleman, he said, man, you know what? You really ought to come to our church. Just come and just come and check it out, and and I thought you know at that time, what do I have to lose? And so so we did. We took our kids there, and and I'm just going to tell you, one of the mottos of our church is the the our church loves kids. All right, second second is our church, Second Baptist Church here in Houston. Second loves kids, and I'm going to tell you what it, they really do a fabulous job with the kids program, and our kids immediately got plugged in, and they really loved it. And it all, it, it all happened just from an easy, simple, three-word evangelism. Hey, come and see. This, this guy wasn't selling me on his church. He wasn't trying to, you know, oversimplify the gospel. He wasn't trying to push anything on me. He simply just said, hey, you know what? Come and, come and see. E evangelism begins with an encounter. It's an encounter that we have with Jesus, and that encounter drives us or compels us to reach out uh, to other people and to invite them to come and see the Jesus that we know and the Jesus that we love. Evangelism begins with an encounter. And we're going to look at this morning four encounters uh, that different people had with Jesus. The first is John the Baptist. The second is uh, two of his disciples, John's disciples. We're going to look at Andrew and Peter. And we're going to look at Philip and Nathaniel. We're in uh, the Gospel of John today, chapter 1. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to look at verse 19. Here, here's what I love about John the Baptist. By the way, if you don't come from the Baptist denomination, uh, for the longest time I always just thought, wow, uh, John was a Baptist. No, it's John the Baptizer, right? The characteristic by what he does. Jesus has this encounter with John the Baptist. Now, now we all know that John's uh, ministry has been one 
documented here for us in the beginning of the gospel is John pointing somebody to this coming Messiah. When asked by the Pharisees, uh, hey, uh, John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Uh, verse 20, he says, uh, no, I'm not. Well, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? You know, verse 21, no, I'm not. And, and what John does is he he quotes Isaiah 40. He says, this is who I am. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord or prepare the path for the for the Lord. That's John's entire purpose, y'all, is to prepare the way for the Lord, to preach a message of repentance, to baptize with water, and to ultimately point people to the coming Messiah, who who John himself testifies here, saying in verse 29 about Jesus, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, he says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, therefore I testify that he is the chosen one of God. I mean, can you imagine the excitement, y'all, uh, John must have felt in this moment? Uh, John's entire life, his entire mission and ministry has been to point people to the coming Messiah, right? Foretold in the Old Testament and now revealed here in the person of Jesus. And we see that John's encounter with Jesus produces this uh, confession, uh, a confession that says Jesus is indeed, we see the Passover lamb who removes the sin of the world. He is the one who can accomplish this divine task because he is the preexistent one. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who is indeed the son of God. Now, we know uh, John uh, himself had a, a large amount of disciples that followed him, and we're told here in verse 35 that the very next day, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus pass by again, identifies him as the Lamb of God, but this time two of John's own disciples hear their master's witness, and they decide to follow Jesus. Now, if, now, if you're a disciple of John, y'all, you undoubtedly knew that John's mission was to point people to the coming Messiah. So when John himself finally reveals that Jesus is that long-awaited Messiah, it's natural that some of John's disciples would want to then follow Jesus. And that's what we see here in verse 37. It says, two of John's disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. The, the verb here, to follow, means to follow uh, as a disciple. Normally, that's the context. Here, it could very well mean they just simply followed him. You know, as he's walking around, they followed him. And this is often how disciples learned from their rabbi or their teachers, and they follow them around, they observe them, they watch them, they wait for the teacher to provide a lesson. Verse 38 says, Jesus looked around and saw them and said, what do you want? Right? He, he sees these two of, of John's disciples following him. He says, what do you want? And they respond, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, the interesting thing that the verb here for staying is uh, meno, right? This is our, our 
often translated into where are you remaining or where are you abiding? And, and this word abiding is so characteristic of John's gospel, especially John chapter 15, right? We get this sense of uh, where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? And listen, y'all, to, to Jesus's response here in verse 39. It's this simple three-word evangelism. Come and see. This is what Jesus said. And about four o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus and these two disciples went with him to the place where Jesus was staying and they abided or they remained with him for the rest of the day. We see here in Jesus' response, this three-word evangelism, come and see, is it an invitation to abide with him? And it begins with that simple declaration, come and see. And for these two disciples, it constituted the beginning of this intimate relationship they would have with Jesus. Now, we're, we're told here in verse 40 that one of those two disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus and spent the night and remained with him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41 says, Andrew heard the Baptist testify that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the Messiah. Having spent time with Jesus, Andrew himself came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So having spent time with Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to go out and find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Now, I want you to notice that he didn't have to try to convince his brother that what he saw was true. He didn't have to win him over. He didn't have to convert him. He simply brought him to Jesus, right? Too often, y'all, I think sometimes when it comes to evangelism, we think we have to win somebody over. We have to convert them to Christianity. When what we're shown here is often when it begins for us and for that person that we're speaking to, it's just a simple three-word invitation. Come and see. It was being with Jesus that had convinced Andrew that Jesus was the Messiah. And apparently that, that belief in Jesus then compelled him to go see his brother, Simon. Now, like a, a, Tim Keller writes this, he says, The most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother, or sister to sister, yet it is the most underutilized means of evangelism. So the one thing, y'all, that is the most effective way we can reach people, we're not doing. We're not reaching people for Christ. Andrew models that for us that the very first priority upon discovering who Jesus is was to go out and, and find his beloved brother and to tell him all about Jesus. And, and y'all, this should be our response too. Now it's interesting, Andrew appears here two more times uh, in the Gospel of John, and both times, listen to this, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. All right, so, so here's the encounter. Andrew had this encounter with Jesus, who he heard from John about Jesus, and he decided, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. He spends the day with Jesus and then acknowledges Jesus is Christ. It was being with Jesus that convinced Andrew that Jesus was the Messiah, and his response to that encounter was to go find his brother, Simon, who would become Peter. Verse 42 says, when Jesus right, looked at Simon, Jesus changed the name 
from Simon, which is really derived from the Hebrew word Shema, or to hear. And he's saying his new name would be um, Kepha, the, 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 Aramaic, uh, uh, the Aramaic word for rock, which John transliterates the name to Cephas for, this, for the Greek readers here. Greek, Greeks would know him by, his, by their word for stone or Petros, where we get Peter. And from this point forward in John's gospel, he's only ever referred to as this new name, right, for, for Peter. So why the name change? Je Jesus knew the man's character and his destiny, right? In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus says, you know, in response to this question, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you are indeed the Messiah. And, and, and Jesus responds to Peter and he says, you are Petros, you are a stone, and on this Petra, the rock, I will build my church. The rock on which God will establish his church is, is the confession that Peter had just made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What I love about this name change, y'all, is that Jesus uh, sees people not as what they are, but who they would ultimately become. And that's the same for you and I today, that's the exact same. All right, let's look at the fourth and final encounter here. Verse 43 tells us that they, this is Jesus, Andrew, and Peter, purposed to go into Galilee, uh, which would be about a journey of three days. And it says that Andrew and Peter lived in this same village in Galilee, and it was also this home of Philip. And this is who they run into. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, verse 43. He found Philip, and he said, come and follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Philip's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So it's interesting. John here in the gospel doesn't tell us how how Jesus knew Philip. All we know is that Jesus looked for him. He found him. This is, the, this is an active finding. This is not, hey, I accidentally bumped into. He found him for the express purpose of calling him to be a disciple. And some, of, some people would refer to this almost as a, a divine appointment. I think I would agree with this. Jesus sought out Philip with the express divine purpose of calling him to be a disciple and Philip apparently followed without hesitation or reservation. Y'all, this is the type of evangelism we, we so desire, isn't it? It's we, we tell somebody about Jesus and boom, uh, there's no hesitation, no reservation, and they, and they just jump right in. I like to refer to this as a right time, right place evangelism, right? Where somebody else perhaps has poured into someone uh, time and time again, and you just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and the Holy Spirit opens that person's ears and eyes for the gospel message, and they just... Y'all, they just accept Jesus on the spot. Uh, I do believe uh, in divine appointments. So here's the encounter. Jesus sought and found Philip and invited him to follow Jesus. And, and Philip did. And then Philip's response immediately is, I'm going to go find my friend Nathaniel. Philip's first act as a disciple was to find his friend Nathaniel. And look, he identifies Jesus in three ways. Him of whom the Moses, of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote about. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, which is commonplace to refer to somebody by their family name. 
Now listen to listen to Nathaniel's response because I love this. This is the typical response that we see to somebody who who is in, encounters uh, some type of evangelism, right? It says Nathaniel's response was one of what? Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? He's saying something so uh, so significant as the Messiah could that really come from an in- insignificant place like Nazareth? And listen to what Philip says here in verse forty six. Come and see, right? He, he's not trying to convince them. He just says, hey, you, you need to come and see Jesus. I love it. Our three-word evangelism, come and see. So, so it says here, verse 4 says, As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, to which Nathaniel responds, How do you know that about me? And Jesus says, I could see you under the fig tree before you found, before Philip came and found you. So there's some supernatural revelation going on here, much like with what we see between Simon Peter and Jesus, right? Jesus tells Nathaniel here uh, something only the Son of God could ever know. And he, and he says, before Philip came and found you, I knew you were sitting under the fig tree. To which Nathaniel responds to this revelation, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And I love what Jesus says here in verse 50. He says basically in salvation, if you think that's great, you ain't seen nothing yet. He says, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and going down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Right, we see here in verse 51, Jesus reveals his ultimate purpose for coming into the world. It was to bridge the great gap that sin had created between heaven and earth. And he's referring here, y'all, to Genesis chapter 28. Uh, this is Jacob's ladder, right? In which Jacob dreamt of a ladder stretching from earth to heaven and angels were using it to move between these two separate realms. And Jesus announces here saying to Nathaniel, I am that ladder. What had once only been a dream is now a reality. And and y'all for, for these new disciples that are following Jesus, I mean, how exciting must this have been, right? It's, it's, it, it all began with the simple invitation to come and see. And I really want to encourage us today as we wrap this up that there's there's just a, a couple of different models of evangelism shown here. Um, and in a season uh, such as this, in the Christmas season, in the Advent season, uh, when it's so easy to invite our family, our friends, our neighbors to come and see um, our Savior who has radically changed our lives. Uh, what a perfect time it is to step out boldly in faith and just invite somebody, hey, come and see. What what this passage illustrates for us today uh, is four popular means of calling individuals to follow Christ, right? We see uh, in the John the Baptist section here uh, what I would refer to as mass evangelism. Massive evangelism refers to a, you know, a gifted person proclaiming the good news to audiences, large number of audiences who have not yet received the gift of eternal life. John the, the baptizer or John the Baptist was 
the evangelists of the first century. He pointed people to Jesus and proclaimed, there is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, follow him. Other examples of such gifted preachers uh, throughout the years who proclaimed the gospel to the masses would be people such as John Knox, John Wesley, George Whitfield, and more recently, uh, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, and of course, uh, Billy Graham. How can we forget Billy Graham? They preached to gatherings of non-believers, and multitudes were converted and became disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the first group. The second is probably what I'd most likely focus on is, is just our personal evangelism. It takes place when one person shares the good news of Jesus Christ with another person, and that's through their testimony. That's that's with uh, that's by telling this person, uh, this is what I was like before I knew Jesus. Then I met met Jesus, and this is what I'm like. This is what Jesus has done in my life. That that's all, y'all, for a testimony. That's all that's required. And we see this with Andrew and his brother uh, Simon Peter. Right? It's it's perhaps the most effective and common means by which people reach out uh, to others so that they may know the Lord uh, through the hearing of the gospel, uh, which starts with their often starts with their testimony. Unfortunately, most of uh, personal evangelism, uh, for some reason, is, is, is dreaded by people. People don't want to go out and do this. Um, I don't know if they just they fear the question. If somebody says, how can I be saved? Maybe they haven't thought through it. Um, Fortunately, there, you know, there's a lot of training programs that are free and readily available uh, that can help help people walk through that. Here, here's what I would recommend as we step into 2023, uh, especially if you're somebody who is a, a New Year's resolution person. I would say let's start now before uh, 2023 kicks off. Let's start thinking about these three things when it comes to personal evangelism, right? The first is think of your own testimony. How were you saved? And, and what the details were around that, and, and come up with a clear and concise way to verbalize it. And, and by clear and concise, I mean a two to three sentence, this is who I was, this is how I encountered Jesus, this is what he's done for me. You know, you don't have to focus on how broken you were before. Uh, that should just be a small part. But but the, the totality of it really should emphasize, man, this is what Jesus has done for me. And y'all, people respond to that. Because we all have human need and human brokenness, and, and people want to know, um, they want to feel like uh, you have been changed and, and what's done that for you. And, and the emphasis really ought to be on Jesus at that point. Um, so, so clearly and concisely give your testimony. Practice giving the gospel message out loud. There, therefore, we can be confident in answering that question, how can I be saved? Right? I always... Uh, tell our uh, people at, at, in our Bible study class a a 10 word gospel message right is is uh, Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave 10 10 words Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave in that 10 word and I use my fingers to to demonstrate it often is is the entirety of the gospel message to which you can then unpack it you know uh, to somebody uh, but most people who are non-believers, you know, especially in this day and age, are looking for something short and compact, something that you can say, you know, Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave. And in that, we can then unpack and tell people. But you have to practice that. So let me encourage you just to, to practice that. How would I how would I address this question? 
How can I be saved? If somebody were to ask me that, how do I address that with them? It, it helps to practice. And the more you practice, the more confident you get. And, and third, I would just say, let's identify a, a friend, a loved one, somebody in 2023 that you will simply say, come and see. So that's personal evangelism. The last, the last one is just contact evangelism. And like I said before, that uh, I think this is a divine appointment. I think people, I think God puts you in the path of certain people throughout your lives. And, and the more you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, the more you're willing to step out boldly for him, the more he will place you in these positions where simply sometimes it's just you being in the right place at the right time and you know, I often tell this story about uh, an encounter I had at Home Depot one time. I'm shopping, and uh, a gentleman was there who had worked there. Um, he saw me looking uh, to, to purchase something, and he came up, and, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And I thought this guy was going to ask me, you know, you know, do you need help with what, you, what you're purchasing, or do you have any questions about it? And he simply said, there's something different about you. And I, and, and I wish I could have... I wish I could tell you that I had some fabulous revelation, like, man, I've been practicing my my evangelism. I'm going to give this guy this fabulous, you know, gospel presentation. And and y'all, the honest truth is all that came out at that time was, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's that's all I said. And his response was, yeah, I, I need to get some of that. Right in, in the middle of Home Depot. So and, and I firmly believe that was a divine appointment uh, that God had set at the right time, at the right place, and I just happened to respond, and, and, I, and I look back going, man, I wish I could have done better, but, but for that time, for me and for that gentleman, it, you know, I believe in Jesus was, was the appropriate response, and it did open up some other conversations, and so while I encourage you just to be bold in stepping out, be bold to invite people uh, this Christmas season, uh, hey, come and see. Come and see our uh, fabulous Savior, the one who has radically changed your life, who has radically changed my life, um, and be bold to step out in, in, in response to what the Holy Spirit is doing throughout your week. I wholeheartedly believe in divine appointments, that, that the Lord is preparing certain people's hearts uh, and all he's looking for is a willing messenger like you and like me. Let me wrap this up. An encounter with Jesus changes everything, and it should. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. Our encounter with Jesus should change us so radically that we are compelled we are driven. We can't contain it. We must reach out to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and invite them to come and see the Jesus that we know and love. Amen? Amen. Hey, I look forward to seeing you uh, at our next episode. Have a fabulous Christmas season.